0: Welcome to the Bearded Tits Podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. This week I'm joined by Bertie Gregory, who is a British wildlife filmmaker. He's been named a National Geographic Young Explorer and the Youth Outdoor Photographer of the Year. Bertie's goal is to find stories that get people to fall in love with the natural world. Bertie currently splits his time between shooting behind the camera as a cinematographer for the BBC's landmark series and hosting shows for National Geographic. Bertie also recently won a BAFTA for his cinematography in the latest BBC David Attenborough series, Seven Worlds, One Planet. There's a link in the description to buymeacoffee.com and you can help the podcast by donating £3 to help keep it going which I'll use for web hosting or maybe a piece of lemon drizzle. Today, we chat about if his young age was an obstacle early in his career, how your filming can affect change, and how a round of shots kick-started his career. Here's our chat. Well, Bertie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. No worries, buddy. Are you uh, you back in the UK now? Because you're kind of all over the place, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, coming to you from uh, Bristol, where I live. Um uh, but yeah, no, uh, just just back from a from a pretty long trip. Uh, but yeah, nice to be back in in the UK and uh, getting some some rest after quite a few days. Uh, yeah, I was going to say on the road, but it was on a boat uh, so <laughs> on the waves, I guess.
0: Yeah, awesome. And I wanted to uh, kind of start at the beginning of your your career and and kind of confirm a rumor I heard anyway through the rumor mill. And uh, basically, I heard that it was it was a wild photos where I didn't go to it but I think you were doing a talk there and Steve Winter was doing a talk there and you made uh like a kind of cheeky offhand comment on the talk like oh Steve if you need an assistant I'm open or something along those lines and then afterwards he was like yes or is there any truth for that or is that just bollocks? (laughs)
1: Uh yeah I mean, uh, yeah okay so there's some there's the 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 I guess the, the most of it's true yeah okay. in terms of the words I said it was different so okay okay yeah, wild screen 20 It was wild
0: screen was it okay right uh
1: sorry no wild photos well back it was when, it was wild wild. Photos used to be its own event uh, yes. the Royal Geographic Society in London Yeah so yeah I was uh, giving a talk there along with uh two other young photographers about uh what it's like getting into the wildlife photography industry right in at okay. the beginning and then that was sort of an unusual thing because most of the time, Wild Photos is, uh, yeah, it has you know the the top National Geographic photographers, people like Steve Winter giving talks. So it was a cool opportunity to uh, for me, um, mainly because uh, giving the presentation was cool, but it also meant there were lots of like speakers, sort of private drinks and stuff in the evening. So it was an amazing opportunity for me to just uh, you know uh, dribble over all of my <laughs> photographic heroes, basically. Um, and, uh, I remember, yeah, so word got out at this event that Steve was looking for a new assistant, um, and he was getting sort of hounded, um, bet, yeah. 500, 600 people there. Um, so I figured, well, there's no point trying to compete with that. I've got 15 minutes during my presentation when, when no one can interrupt me. So I just sort of treated it like a job interview really. <laughs> um, and I thought go big or go home. So I, yeah, I did, a, an impression of his American accent. Um, uh, so yeah, I did an impression of his American accent because I thought, well, let's try and get his attention and retold a story, uh, from the night before at this one of these speakers drinks, uh, about how, yeah, I was surrounded by all my photographic heroes. Um, uh, yeah, it was a really bizarre thing to happen because all, all of them were buying me and Connor Stefanison was the other young photographer, yes, yeah, yeah. friend of mine. We were like, what is going on? We're having all our- <laughs> of our buy us drinks because we were like the young kids, uh, you know, with no money. Um, and uh, yeah, Steve came over with like a big handful of shots. Uh, and <laughs> Good man. Told us it was time for shots. So I retold the story and did his uh, amazing American accent. He's got a very unique American accent. Uh, and fortunately he he found it funny. It could have gone down like a, yeah. a balloon. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he found it funny and after the presentation, uh yeah, came up to me with Kathy Moran, who who at the time was the natural history editor of National Geographic magazine. She's now the photography editor. Um and yeah, they they offered offered me a job, which was yeah, an amazing sort of Willy Wonka golden yeah. ticket sort of moment. Uh and I yeah, said said yes. Uh and, and that was that was how I started with, with Nat Geo
0: i guess it's one of those things where you've just got to have a punt haven't you you've just got to try and and it paid off obviously
1: yeah and i i mean i think that often um uh nat geo um well uh well parking that i guess often people think of public speaking as sort of a a skill that is not relevant to the wildlife photographic or wildlife film world you know it's a sort of a different thing um but i've found it to be so important and so useful in everything from uh briefing guides in the field as to what you need uh you know briefing teams um trying to win people over that you need access for or at random photographic festivals trying to get jobs um yeah. so i think uh, yes yeah, something that that Uh, even though I can't grow facial hair and I've only been in the industry about five minutes. I get lots of (laughs) emails because uh, I present series for Nat Geo, have sort of a public facing profile. I get lots of emails from, from people younger than me saying, how do I get into wildlife film? And one of the key things I always say is get good at public speaking because it is such a useful skill and will set you apart because most people are terrified of it.
0: I, I hated it uh, early on in my career. And then I found when people gave me money, I, I appreciated it a lot more. So I got, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly
1: you were really good at it. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: one of those things like, oh, actually I don't mind doing this now because I can I can have a beer and a kebab after or something. So I'm just about afford <laughs> yeah. it. So it wasn't, wasn't too bad. And I guess not too long after, or, or not too long after, eh, you got into wildlife filmmaking as opposed to stills and you got the BBC camera bursary, didn't you? So I just wondered what was it like receiving that and do you think that really kind of uh gave you a push-up in your career
1: yeah I mean that that was um uh, an amazing uh, really cool opportunity because um yeah how the camera bursary works is that you're um every year the BBC well they're doing it more and more now there's more and more uh, opportunities for it but it used to be that um uh, they hire one or two sort of young upcoming camera people and they attach them to the next landmark series for me uh and, and a guy called Howard Bourne we were attached to um Seven Worlds One Planet the Attenborough series that came out last year or the year before um yeah. and I sort of signed up to it it's sort of billed as a camera bursary where they're going to train you up on a bunch of kit and you're going to be camera assisting most of the time uh and then you might be given a punt on the odd sequence or two in, in the film. Um, but I started and the producer of the North and South America episodes, Chad and Hunter, who's uh, um, uh, an awesome guy and, and I see is, uh, yeah, an amazing mentor. He um, had the shoot come up last minute for the series with Andean Bears, Spectacle Bears, you know, Paddington Bear that lives in the jungle. Um, and it was so last minute that he couldn't find a proper cameraman to do it. Um, so he just had this, you know, the new work experience guy. Uh, and that's slightly unfair, um, because Chad and all credit to him, uh, he put faith in me and said, no, actually you're not just the camera assistant work experience guy, I've seen your stuff, you, you can do this. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll try. <laughs> Um, And it went really well. We had an incredible location uh, because the assistant producer, Sarah Wally, had found this amazing location. We had great guides. Everything came together. It was a real punt, but everything came together. A lot of the times it doesn't. Um, And that meant uh, I came back with footage of an animal that's rarely seen, but loads of it because we had this amazing setup. And I can fly drones. It was just at the start of drones becoming really useful, not just for shooting pretty aerials, but... Um, for telling animal behavior stories. Um, so it was a, a big series of good fortune and and cool events all coming together. Um, and so when I got back, and was like, oh, cool, well, you can do this. You're not going to be a camera assistant on this project. You're going to shoot your own sequences. So I ended up shooting, I think, 11 sequences on that series, um, which for a 24-year-old, camera person was an unbelievable opportunity um uh and yeah very grateful to to everyone on that team for giving giving me a punt uh and, and sending me to some um, yeah some cool places
0: was that the series you did the the whale? was it cy whales where they do that kind of weird feeding technique was that the same series? Uh, so that's,
1: that's brutus whales um, that's brutus so, okay uh, yeah so i uh, uh, don't know if they're actually a subspecies um but uh, a group of Brutus whales known as the Edens whale, which lives in the Gulf of Thailand uh, and they trap feed. So that was for the Perfect Planet series that just. just Sorry. Yeah. Up.
0: OK. yeah. You know, that was that was pretty cool. But like the, you must kind of see all these wildlife stories. I mean, has, have there been any that you've just been like, this is this is absolutely bonkers. I know you've done like the jaguars hunting caiman and uh, wolves with conflict with polar bears and things like that. Has there been anything where you've been like, this is absolutely mental. This is incredible. That this is happening.
1: Um, I think, um, I I realize I'm I'm very fortunate in that um, every shoot we go on, there's, there's something mind blowing happens, but obviously once your bar is set that high, it takes a lot to, to raise it. So I'd say that probably happens about two or three times a year.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You get a moment when you look at the rest of the crew that you're with and you're like, yeah, this is this is an extra level of craziness Um, in terms of one specific moment. uh, I don't really have one, Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the the wolves facing off with the polar bear uh, in Arctic Canada, that was pretty extraordinary because it's yeah. Two animals that just to see in, in the same habitat was, was, was uh, pretty mind blowing. And then to see them actually face off and, and have a, uh, pretty aggressive interaction um and the fact that i'd i'd promised that stupidly to nat geo uh <laughs> and once you promise something you better deliver and it all came good so it was a uh a nuts bit of wildlife behavior to see paired with just the ecstatic relief of fulfilling a a, a promise i guess
0: i bet i bet because yeah you they you know quite an investment i imagine putting stuff in like that so you want to make sure you get it is that a competition for resources or something is that why they're fighting the the polar bear and the wolves uh, so or?
1: the bears are base, so the, the the bears are on land um while they're waiting for the ocean to refreeze so they're just sort of hanging out they don't have much to eat i mean okay. occasionally they'll i don't know scavenge on berries or bird eggs or something but generally for the the summer and just into the start of the autumn they're just hanging out really killing time uh whereas the wolves are just cruising around their massive territory and their strategy is basically they're super opportunistic. They'll just, anything they bump into, they'll chase. Um, and any polar bear I saw them bump into, they'd have a go at. And most of the time the bear would turn around and go, uh, no, I'm a polar bear. Actually, you're not allowed to do that. And they'd go, sorry, didn't mean it and run off. <laughs> and then a couple times, particularly with younger, smaller bears, they'd actually give it a good go. Um, and uh, I didn't see it, but one of the guides we were working with has seen the wolves separate a mother and two cubs and were in the process of killing one of the cubs. And mum came back and picked up one of the wolves in her mouth and just l- lobbed it into the air wow. uh, and it sort of hobbled off in pieces. Um, so, so, yeah, those wolves are actively hunting the polar bears when they get the opportunity and, and the conditions are right.
0: Yeah, that's pretty. That's mind blowing, really, isn't it? Like, it's not something that you would even, yeah, expect. Yeah, to well, it's like
1: ultimate. It's like ultimate animal battles. It's like you know, <laughs> ridiculous top jumps, like killer whale versus tiger. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah. Is yeah.
0: Well, you, it's the sort of thing you like the. I guess not the higher end of that Geo, but they do do those sort of programs, don't they? Where they do like tiger versus gorilla, see who will win, and it's you know. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah, and yeah. that's why it was almost. Uh, it was almost a bit of a joke that we yeah. got it together. It was like, "This is, yeah, yeah, what what we're going to do next?"
0: It's pretty pretty crazy. And you did um, you did urban leopards as well, didn't you? Which I think was that was that for seven worlds one. Planet? No,
1: that was with that was with Steve. Um, that was with so Steve. Okay, that was my first first. Uh, well, it's the second shoot I did with Steve. So when I got the job at, at Wild Photos, uh, I then went on for two years to uh, two and a half years to assist him. And the first project that I helped him on was. Uh, a worldwide leopard story for for national Geographic magazine um and halfway through that project we pitched to nat geo wild the television channel and said we're going to these places and it's going to end up as 10 pictures in a very prestigious magazine but there's there's so much stuff we're doing that we'll never see the light of day why don't why doesn't bertie's really interested in video why doesn't he uh shoot steve sort of in action uh and that's how it started and then it sort of evolved from from there into when we then did a second project uh together on jaguars um the 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 tv show ended up being more of a sort of a tag team with me and steve uh trying trying to film and photograph the the jaguars so yeah, yeah. It sort of went from there
0: so like so you, you use term um... Oh, say, I use the term really, but urban leopards. But like, are they just on the fringes or are they actually fully going in? It was Mumbai, wasn't it? it was it Mumbai? Or... Yeah, so yeah. so the
1: main place, there's a couple of places in India where you can film, I guess, urban leopards. But yeah the, yeah, the most famous place where we focused was was Mumbai. So the city of Mumbai has a big national park in the middle of it called Gana National Park. Ah. I think it's about 100 square kilometres. So it's it's a big area, but it's surrounded pretty much on all sides by the city of Mumbai. Um, And the last census they did, I think that 100 square kilometers had 35, 40 leopards, um, which is an extraordinary density. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very small area, very small territory size that they've got there. And it goes to show one that the city sort of creeping slowly in legally into this national park. But also it shows just how much food there is for these leopards. Usually, when you see a big predator around a city, it's like the crappy juvenile that's been kicked out of the primer, wilder bit of habitat. Whereas the leopards that I filmed were just tanks, super well fed, (laughs) big bellies, prime condition. And it's because the area that fringes a lot of the national park is slum areas, and these areas are packed full of livestock just wandering around on the streets. So there's goats, chickens uh pigs stray dogs everywhere and it's just easy pickings for the for the leopards
0: so you're walking home late at night and you see one of those walk past you it's gonna get the heart fluttering a little bit isn't it
1: certainly does yeah i had a couple (laughs) very interesting uh encounters where i was in a in a hide staked out on a bridge um and we had this bridge rigged with motion sensors, so that if a, a leopard broke one of those beams, it would turn these floodlights on. Which normally, to film wildlife, would not work. But these leopards are so used to triggering security uh, lights and stuff. Of course, yeah, of course. We had this big male; that didn't even flinch. Just crew, just carried on walking. Um, and it, it was in front of a big apartment building as well, so it was a really cool sort of city scene. And I had uh, a couple of leopards, a few, a few nights, come up around the back of the hide. And uh, yeah, they were less than a foot from me, with a little bit of canvas in between, <laughs> them. and I can just hear its breath, like on on the on the oh, wall of the, the blind. And I I don't think they would
0: uh, no, 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 no. Try to no
1: eat me. Um, uh, I think the the rare times that they have eaten people or attacked people, it's been a case of mistaken identity. Um, you know, it's often been little kids that have been bent over going to the toilet in the forest and. You know, if you're a little kid bent over, you look a lot like a little deer or something. Um, so, yeah, the idea that the, those leopards there are man-eaters, I think, is uh, a load of bollocks. Um, yeah. That said, in other places in India, they have, on rare occasions, have had man-eating leopards that do get a taste for people. And it's a really bad, horrible situation for everyone and thing involved.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just a case of having a healthy respect. And, you know, um, I suppose when those leopards are mostly active, presumably there's less people around as well. It's, it's mostly exactly. nocturnal. Like I this, mean,
1: so. yeah, the leopards, like their activity is like clockwork. They're super nocturnal there okay, um, because they know, yeah, they, they don't they don't want to mess with people. They, yeah, they just want to do their thing. Yeah. Um, and the, also the other thing to say is man-eating leopards are usually created from bad situations where, the local wildlife population has been decimated um often it's after cats have been tranquilized and moved and then dumped in a bit of forest and you think oh we'll just dump that leopard you know away from people but okay it's away from people but you're dumping it right into the middle of a bunch of other leopards that are super grumpy that there's this new kid in town that leopard gets beaten up it then is super desperate oh look there's a human which biologically we're fairly useless unless yeah. I am. um and yeah it's it has a go to to survive
0: yeah no that makes uh that makes sense but of course you well really the last year because of the the current situation you've been spending a lot of time in the in the uk presumably as well and i wondered yeah. you know you, you 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 know filmed all over the world seen all these different species but is there a UK species that you've enjoyed working with or, or maybe you'd like to work with? Maybe there's one that you haven't worked with that you'd, you'd really like to have a go at.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, slightly embarrassingly, I, I yeah, I grew up with British wildlife. That's why I'm interested in wildlife ultimately. But since sort of starting doing it professionally, I've filmed in the UK a handful of times. That's just where the contracts have been. It's been overseas, especially starting with Steve. You know, he's based in the US and his, his stuff's overseas. So when, yeah, the you know, COVID happened and suddenly the brakes were put on any overseas filming for a good six, six seven months, everyone was completely down tools. Um, yeah, I was saying I was stuck with British wildlife is the wrong thing because <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why I like wildlife in the first place. And I get just as much of a kick out of seeing a peregrine falcon in the middle of London as I do a yeah, polar bear in the Arctic. Um, so yeah, I, I've sort of got to re-fall in love with British Wildlife and meet some animals that I hadn't filmed before. And yeah, they've been wild. Like uh up in up in Scotland, uh I went up to film uh, Basking Sharks, and they're the weirdest animal. And oh, awesome. that rivals that underwater encounter rivals any underwater experience I've I've had in terms of just seeing a really weird animal underwater. Um And also while I was up there, uh, so in the inner Hebrides, um, just by chance on the horizon while we were looking for basking sharks, saw this big sort of murmuration of birds and we went closer and it was thousands of Manx shearwater. um, And then about 200 common dolphins turned up. And then uh, about 10, 12 minke whales turned up and then three humpback whales and all of those animals were smashing this massive sand eel bait ball wow Um, which was unbelievable i mean yeah i've been lucky enough to go whale watching in antarctica and the arctic and canada sort of the epic places and and that was that was up there you know in terms of you know biomass of big charismatic animals hammering into other ones um it was uh yeah i mean it goes to show that yeah british wildlife you know we've got a reputation for not having great stuff compared to say north america but we yeah, we we've got some we've got some great stuff, especially when you know we we give wildlife the chance to to come back uh, rather than just destroy it, which seems to happen most places in the UK.
0: Yeah, um, unfortunately, I mean I I'm I'm definitely keen to do basking. I've never seen a basking shark, and it's it's high on my list of of species to go and see. So I'm going to try and try the and do that. First time at some point.
1: you see that big white mouth come <laughs> out of the, the pea soup because they I mean they're feeding on uh mainly copepods, but yeah floating you know gunge in the water they love bad visibility so you're hopping in often and it's like three meter viz and so just seeing a, you know eight meter animal come out of three meter viz and suddenly be there and its mouth is you know <laughs> as wide as as me yeah it's it's a spooky spooky uh encounter
0: Oh, I'd love it. It'd be fantastic. And I always ask this whenever I get a uh, someone who does stills and video. But on a, on a personal level, do you prefer uh, stills photography or filmmaking? <laughs> I've asked Charlie Hamilton James this and and a few others, and well, well, I wait to see what you say. But I, they've all said the same. Yeah, what did answer. Charlie say? <laughs> Charlie says he said stills.
1: Okay, I guess he's rec- he he went he's gone from video, sort of back to stills, yeah. I guess. He, he's um, reversed. Yeah uh i like stills in that it's um when i say a simple goal i don't mean easy i mean it's a simple goal in that it's very focused yeah um excuse pun uh sorry that was (laughs) bad um it's very focused in that um you're you're going to capture a single moment and that's sort of it and I, i like the purity of that yeah um that said with with video i like that there's much more of a sort of there's, there's a you're telling a really big story and there's there's so many things going on and you're never f- finished, which i guess is a good thing in one way and that you can always be you know getting intro shots or cutaways or, or little random vignettes of other animals that you want to feature next to your sort of a character. But at the same time you're never done. so yeah, like downing tools is really hard whereas yeah with stills if you get like an absolute banger of a shot in golden light you can be like well topping that's going to be difficult yeah. now that the light's rubbish um yeah so yeah i i guess i like the the bigger creative process okay. of storytelling and filmmaking but it's a pain in the ass there's just <laughs> so much stuff whereas stills i like the purity of you know single camera body single lens going for a single frame yeah. like a single moment there's a i like the purity of that So, in answer to your question, I don't have an answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, I financially I wouldn't be doing much just stills. I mean, the stills market, without going into all of that, is kind of, but um, but I do prefer stills for me. I think, yeah, I think simplistic is a it's not a disservice because it is you know in a nice way it's simpler. But um,
1: but simple doesn't mean easy. No, 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 no. it's harder.
0: Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, to get something that stands out, definitely. Yeah, anyone can take a they, photo,
1: as you say. Just like the the you know the the, the budgets available. Yeah. Uh, to to get funding for projects, you know, I can, uh, you know, charter a Antarctic sailboat and go to the Antarctic for six weeks for a video project and bring three camera people, bunch of support team, yeah, four drones, state of the art gimbal, all that funded by video project you could never do that on a stills budget no. even if you're uh you know paul nicklin uh yeah you, yeah it's it's the video that currently in the current climate is bringing in the is bringing in the funding
0: yeah no definitely i think that's just yeah just the way it's, it's going at the minute and you were uh, you mentioned early at the beginning so you're you're 27 now are you yeah yeah so but you started relatively early in your career i guess you're probably going to get it less now because you're i say old but you're not old at all but like when you first started did you find people were talking down to you a little bit because of your age or was it more of a positive thing because i always find that people who are very good at what they do early on sometimes people can be a little bit maybe not intentionally but patronizing if you know what you mean like say you introduce yourself as a wildlife photographer and they sort of like a, a pat on the head like good for you when you're like well actually i'm doing quite well but it's it can be one of those things where people, I don't know, patronize you a little bit for your, your yeah. Age. I mean,
1: like now I get that. Uh, yeah, I think you get two, two very distinct reactions. One is the good, the good yeah. one, which yeah. is uh, I'm uh, impressed by your initiative and your passion and your drive. How can I get you on one of my projects? Um, because I thrive off your. Yeah, young, enthusiastic, stop at nothing energy. Those people are amazing. Those people I want to work for. Uh, I want them to mentor me. I, I, I want to be around those people. And then you get the other side, which is um, usually there's some kind of a chip on that person's shoulder, but it's yeah, it's patronizing. Um, uh, so it's a combination of things. Um, who, do, Yeah, who do you think you are? You can't do that. You haven't done your time. Um, I never had that opportunity when I was your age. Um, all those kinds of things. And usually, yeah, if I, I remember when I was 16, 17, and I won a couple of wildlife photography competitions, really not a big deal at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. in terms of the significance of those competitions. But they were they were cool. Yeah. But I, immediately I was getting trolled by. 40 year old professional well so-called professional wildlife photographers yeah and it's like do you do you literally not have anything better to do than than (laughs) troll a teenager on the internet yeah Um, and it, it all comes down to insecurity and i don't feel the need to fight back because i know that if 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 you're that age and you feel the need to do that to a teenager you've got enough problems in your own head that i as the teenager i don't need to fight back you've got enough of a punishment going on in whatever's going on in your brain so i'm just going to leave you to self-destruct um which is a shame that that's that's uh and that and that's why if i ever see uh yeah young people getting trolled by older people on social media i'll stick up for them because i remember when i I was that person and it was rubbish um and it's just stupid like i think um same team come on
0: Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? But Sorry, can I
1: add one more thing to your previous question about do you prefer video or still? (laughs) Go on on then. (laughs) I prefer video, actually, because I like working in teams and I think it's amazing when loads of people come together for a common goal like that camaraderie you get, being on top of five other people and you not see any other humans for six weeks in the Arctic or whatever. Like the, the teamwork, the drive of that is amazing. I get so excited by that. And in stills, you might work with one other person, yes. but it tends to just be much more of a it's
0: lone wolf thing, isn't it?
1: Egotistical weirdness, competitiveness. Yeah. Not to say there isn't competitiveness in, in wildlife film, but you need to be a team player because you can't do it all in wildlife film. Oh. And that means that you tend to get weeded out if you're an asshole.
0: Well, I think as well, like with stills photography, I think because people. Are, are kind of in their own sphere. I think they're smelling their own farts for for enough years that they kind of That's I don't know. <laughs> they're just well, getting getting a good whiff, and um they're just not used to people butting back. I guess, and I guess they kind of get stuck in their own little world. Whereas, like you say, with filmmaking, it is a team uh, a team thing, and you've got to uh, like if you are an arsehole you're not going to last very long. Well, you sh- or you should hopefully you won't last very long. You've got to have people skills, and you've got to. Have the art of the compromise um i i guess with it and, and an interesting point as well i think when you say you don't in, uh don't engage back with these people i think the best way to annoy someone if they are having a pop at you for for whatever reason is to keep doing what you're doing and keep being successful because that's going to annoy them way more than any any kind of comeback no matter how tempting it is to call them a cock or a dickhead or whatever <laughs> It's, it's way better to just keep smashing it in your career because that's going to really fuck them off. And I think that's the best yeah. way to do it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, and uh, I've just got a couple more points and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. But one of the things a lot of uh, photographers and filmmakers want to do, although what they say that they want to do is they want to affect change of their work and whether it's with stills, whether it's videos. And I just wondered like, is it as simple as shooting something and hoping that people see that and it affects change or do is it better to shoot something specifically to try and make that change happen
1: that's deep man (laughs) it is deep how long have you got
0: well Um, we keep under an hour normally so we should be okay yeah uh,
1: well (laughs) okay so um i choose projects to work on where there is a cool exciting incredible piece of animal behavior because that is what is going to grab people especially people that aren't necessarily interested in wildlife and those are the people whose behavior you want to change because the people that are interested in conservation are already interested in conservation i don't need to convince them of anything um so i'd always go for that but surrounded to that project i will go for pro- i'll go for situations locations that have a bigger story but usually ones that you can apply that to the whole world you can apply that to anywhere you live because if i tell you about the conservation of some i don't know some lice that lives on under a rock in the arctic whilst i could tell you about how important that is and get you really excited about it really that's not very relevant to you so how do you make it relevant to everyone yeah um and a, a good example of that, I did a, a project, I pitched it to Nat Geo about the island of South Georgia in the South Atlantic Ocean. And that island is the most wild, spectacular, beautiful place with just penguins and whales and loveliness and amazing scenery. But it represents both the best and the worst in human nature In that we completely trashed that place during the whaling area, you know, released rats by mistake that ran right through all the ground, nesting bird colonies, yadda, yadda, yada, yadda, yadda. We protected it. There's been some amazing organisations eradicating the rats. We let the wildlife come back. And and now it's just, you know, having a a wonderful time. Um, There are some modern day threats, but let's not go into that. because we'll be here, (laughs) all day. It's basically an example of how if you look after a place and you nurture it, it will come back on an unbelievable scale, which is amazing for that particular place. But you can apply that concept to anywhere. Um, How many people that live next to a park that's been trashed um just sit there going well that place is is screwed but actually if you put great minds together and you look after a place the wildlife can come back so why can't we make that 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 abandoned disused pile of rubbish down the road from you why can't that be turned into an amazing forest full of foxes and badgers and red kites i don't know
0: yeah no i think that's a good uh good way of looking at it and no Did that no, answer
1: no, your no. question i don't really know uh
0: i'm not sure what the question was when i'm thinking about it but i got <laughs> you know, i said something you said something so let's let's go with it Move on, um, great, it. great... <laughs> well look i'm going to end on this last one buddy anyway which is uh do you think you need to be fairly self-critical of your work or is that kind of the the higher-ups job or so when you're filming are you like oh i, I can keep pushing it or are you fairly confident in what you're doing
1: uh, I think the moment that you think that you're nailing something and you're not self-critical, you're finished okay. because it because it means you don't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it means that you're not going to try and get something better than you've ever got before and more exciting and more engaging. Um, now, when I say push it, should be really clear that that's not pushing the animal or pushing the situation. It's, it's pushing, your own ability or the technology you're using. I think that's a key, key distinction to make, Um, but yeah, I think the moment you're not self-critical yeah. I mean, I I think um, especially with uh, wildlife presenting, you need to give off this aura of being completely confident in your own ability. Um, But no, inside is a completely nervous wreck um that's uh, full of self-doubt and but i think that's important i think it, it it keeps you in check and sure um getting critique or compliments from higher-ups is great but i think you you in yourself are the best driver to make your work better because uh yeah you can you can you're you're the best way of yeah internal. sorry i'm rambling now you get what i mean <laughs> yeah
0: um, well does that mean uh does that mean you have to watch yourself a lot because i i can't stand watching uh watching myself back but i will do just because you want to make sure i guess you you're doing the right thing
1: yeah so i think um yeah that's uh i think a common thing when uh you're, you're starting presenting is to hate watching your own stuff and what you need to do is disassociate that that's you that you're watching and it's it's just the character that is Bertie uh and and the moment you make that sort of dissociation you can critique this character that you play sure in in my case I'm not trying to I guess present in a sort of traditional news way where I'm here I'm being myself then I don't have to act I'm a rubbish actor (laughs) I'm just me that said you me on camera is different to to well it's in theory this the same person but um you need to dissociate yourself sorry i'm rambling again you get what i mean yeah 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 and then you can critique it um uh yeah is it subjectively or objectively i never remember which way around it is i think subject i wouldn't
0: ask grammar yeah i can barely spell yeah, my name the, so the yeah. one that
1: the one that you, yeah you're not biased um yeah. So yeah, I think that's really important because once you can do that, then actually watching yourself is not a painful experience. I, I I'm I I have to watch uh yeah, hour long cuts of me talking about things and uh it's not painful, it's just no. whatever that's part of the job. You I need to do that to make make myself better at my job. Um and and if I'm better then I can get more people excited about the things that I'm passionate about and hopefully uh yeah, inspire people to, to look after wildlife more um and if that involves watching a cut of me flapping my jaw then fine that's part of the deal but yeah don't i think people shouldn't forever for one second think that um uh yeah the confident aura means that yeah you just you know do one take crushed it <laughs> that mic drop that's me done yeah, yeah let's move on to the next thing i can go and nail yeah i mean that's that's not, not how it works. I
0: remember I did a shoot for the one show last year and we were doing it on Urban Squid off um, Weymouth. Urban Squid? Yeah. and Because uh, oh, you're, you're, you're from Dorset, aren't you, originally?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: we were in Weymouth and there were these squid that are using streetlights to hunt prey. So they hide under the shadows and they dart out and are grabbing little mullet and whatever. And um, we had to film an intro anyway. So they just said, right, we just want you to walk along the beach, walk towards the camera, just in- introducing it and walk off. I'm, All right, yeah, no worries. And uh, I, I, I'm terrified if it's more than a sentence. I struggle a little bit, which isn't a great skill if you're trying to do presenting. But we, we did it, and eventually we did so many takes that I'd, I'd done a trench in the sand. So <laughs> they were just like, right, we need to move Jack because we could literally see where you've been walking up and down at like 50 times. But we got there in the end. But I guess that's just part of the part of it all. Well,
1: I, I think I'd find that terrifying and impossible because yeah. I hate that. Um... You know, it's a, a traditional style where, you know, you're, you're walking towards a camera, giving a piece to camera, I guess, because you have to remember lines and words and ah, yeah. I much prefer doing things while I'm talking to a camera. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I much prefer the camera. Behind me than in front because that feels like a natural thing. I'm, yeah. I'm leading you on an adventure, um, but yeah, that sounds absolutely terrifying. Walking <laughs> towards the camera, trying not to trip over, remembering lines. I couldn't yeah. think of anything worse.
0: Like dogs running behind you, probably having a crack in the background <laughs> exactly. or something. It's always, uh, always yeah, yeah, good yeah, a Yeah, little fun.
1: kid throwing his flake at you out of his like, ice cream. Yeah, just
0: catch it in midair when it's when it's coming at. Me. <laughs> but well, look, buddy, it's been great to catch up because it's been far too long since we had a had a waffle. So yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on.
1: No, thanks for having me. Let's uh, let's go for a beer. Let me know when you're next in Bristol.
0: Yeah, Ace will do that. It's amazing how quickly Bertie's career has advanced, and to put it simply, he's smashing it. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, at TitBearded, and there's now the Facebook group, The Bearded Tits Podcast. If you could, also leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on, that really helps the podcast out. Next week, I've got Kitty McFarlane on, who is a singer and songwriter from the Somerset Levels, and we're going to be talking how nature inspires her music. I've been Jack Perks, this has been the Bearded Tits podcast, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.